Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey everyone, welcome back to OMD Daily. This is the, it's a combined episode actually, it'll be the July 29th and 30th episode combined, sorry, July 30th and 31st episode combined, I'm getting my dates mixed up, Uh, I apologize for that. Um, So yeah, a little bit combined episode, and as you'll notice, um, if you are, uh, you know, if you are avidly waiting for the next episode, you notice it didn't come out usually in like the kind of afternoon, maybe late morning time periods that it normally comes out in. And the reason really is because I've kind of had a very haphazard schedule. Uh, so my thir- I decided I'll just combine my Thursday and Friday learnings um, instead of having any podcast episode come out on the week after on the Monday talking about my Friday learnings just because Monday is a holiday uh, here in Canada. And I decided I wanted to spend more time um, not really editing podcast episodes over the weekend or anything and just... Yeah, enjoying my time with my girlfriend and relaxing. Not that I didn't do enough of that, enough of that uh, over my one week break um, last week, but it's also one of those times where you know you gotta prioritize and decide to do that. So I'm just gonna combine the Thursday learnings and the Friday learnings. So I decided I'll launch out the podcast episode uh, Friday night so that it kind of combines the two things. And it's also because um, I've, it's, like I said, it's been a haphazard schedule, so I haven't really had a chance to do the kind of deep work that I wanted to do. Um, it's been a lot of various kinds of learnings. I I do feel kind of bad about that too. Um, in one ways, I feel that it's definitely a, because of uh, definitely a lack of discipline um, in the last few few days in terms of focusing on a specific project, you know, like whether it's looking at a specific company deeper or doing a book review, etc., um, it actually resulted in just more touching upon a various different, just going down different strands, let's say different uh, curiosities. And so I figured maybe this would be a fun one to just talk about and I can call it maybe something like a random show or something or a random set of learnings. Um, there really isn't going to be much of an episode note for this because I've just kind of just gone through a lot of different stuff over the last two days. And so, yeah, I figured I'll just kind of wrap um just what's the word for it rattle it all out is that how you say it but um yeah so things i i think if i were to categorize the key learnings that i will probably share today um and where i spend most of my time on i actually spend a lot of my time on finances um so i I think i mentioned in the previous episodes that i recently accepted a job offer and this is actually with a US-based uh, company and so I'll be getting paid by a US-based company while I live in Canada and so I've had to spend a lot of time figuring out bank accounts really trying to understand okay how do I set up a US-based bank account is that the most ideal way um, in regards to like, receiving USDs and I'm, I learned a ton about wire transfers and various um, fees that are related to different bank accounts and how 
for Canadians at, le- at least who you know work remotely and are paid in U.S. dollars, how there are various ways of um, doing foreign exchange at much better rates than using banks, um, various credit cards for um, not getting charged FX or U.S.-based credit cards and paying with U.S.-based bills because a lot of actually the operational bills for OMD Ventures are actually paid in USD. That was also quite helpful for me. Um, and then I got pretty active in the personal finance Canada Reddit community trying to learn about that. It turns out there's a lot of people who I think maybe also including recent because of the recent uh, times where a lot of people are working remotely have had all these questions. So I kind of t- got into this kind of Reddit uh, rabbit hole. And honestly, if you have any, I think, questions regarding to any of that, like setting up bank accounts where you have to receive money from overseas or you're going to be some other country and you have all these tax implications, etc. Personal Finance Canada, uh, the Reddit forum there is pretty amazing. I, I posted a very detailed question myself and I was I honestly got answers within minutes and had long kind of, um, I don't know what you say, forum-like discussions where I'm just continuously asking questions and then that led to lengthy conversations with bank representatives at um, various financial institutions in Canada. So I spoke with two particular banks, um, going back and forth, asking them questions, learning about more of their products, various bank accounts, the various fees that are not so much hidden, but still I just didn't know about and that I should be aware of the various terminologies like international money transfers, international wire transfers, and you know pre-authorized deposits and all these things that um, I... I realized were things I just had no idea about. It's just something they just never teach you in school and you have to figure it out yourself. So I actually spent a lot of my time doing that and then got into a weird rabbit hole, uh, talk going into the optimizing for credit cards again. Um, then kind of visited my dear friend, um, Ricky Zhang's website, Prince of Travel to figure out, you know, what credit cards are best, what should I optimize for and try to create the best, uh, I guess, financial system for me. So getting the most optimal bank accounts, setting everything up to minimize all the wire fees, um, trying to get figure out what's the best way to convert currency and yeah, all that stuff. So key things I learned actually, um, if you are a Canadian, this might be, this is more of a, I guess, news, more timely base. It's not a perennial learning. It's more a timely announcement. Um, for people who pay attention to my podcast, if you are Canadian and you want to travel across uh, just, you know, nationally, because because of COVID, we can't really do international traveling. That's not really recommended. But I guess if you're an East Coast person who wants to travel West Coast, for example, um, like if you have family there, for example, you want to see them, the, you can, if you use aeroplane points, they have these huge, I think, what do you call it? Redemptions? Like they practically give back 40% of the points that you use. Um, and so I think I found out that I can take uh, a business class flight um, for about like 30,000 points, which is about a 40% discount on what it normally is. And it only costs about $160 in taxes as well. So I just thought that was an amazing deal. Um, I've been looking at possible dates to go back home to um, celebrate my parents' birthday with them. So that was a pretty cool learning and I think it's a pretty limited time deal. So definitely look into that. And yeah, so I'm also kind of giving a plug for my friend's website, Prince of Travel, definitely the place I go to, to figure out all my travel needs. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of my time there and a lot of my time figuring out all the banking needs. 
And I think if I were to plug a product that I had no idea about, but it's coming out to be this kind of super helpful product for anyone who wants to do foreign exchange at prefer like one of the better rates. Um, and if you also want to send money internationally to friends in other countries, or if you want to receive money from other currencies, TransferWise apparently is the product to use. Apparently, um, that's what the Reddit community has told me. And you can actually receive money on TransferWise. It actually kind of acts as a US-based bank account. So it gives you a routing number and everything. So you don't have to face any wire fees. I don't think that's the path I'm going to take, but I think I'll use TransferWise for all kind of FX-related uh, stuff. Um, previously, I used to use Norbert's Gambit, which is a way of, on Quest Trade, you can use the two kind of um, USD Canadian ETFs to practically not pay um, the kind of poor FX rates that banks give you, as well as the kind of fees that they lay on top. You just do like an ETF conversion and you can actually bypass all those fees that way, but it's kind of troublesome to orchestrate it and not a lot of brokers like to do that for you. I think Questray is the main one that allows that. Um, but yeah, I think TransferWise is probably the product I'll use. I think I'll probably also go through the approach of setting up a US-based um, bank account. It's actually pretty easy to do. I don't even need a US address or a US social security number. If you do it with, I believe, TD, RBC, or BMO, they all have US operations and everything can be done online, I think. Um, and you can do it while you are based in Canada. So all that's pretty cool, cool stuff. I didn't know about that. And so, yeah, so if you ever have a similar problem as me, definitely check out the Reddit forums. And yeah, these are kind of the high levels on the various tactics I learned. Um, I think some other things I learned. So I started watching a, a Netflix series called Fear City. It's about the mob and mafia in New York, especially during the 1970s and 80s period. And I think the big thing that it, other than the fact that it's super cool to learn about how the big five mafia families in New York ran this giant business like a Fortune 500 conglomerate um, where they practically owned New York City, is that one of the characters is actually called Fat Tony. Um, so one of the head family member, uh, head mafia bosses of the five families is named Fat Tony. I think he was the leader of the Genovese um, mafia family. And I just thought that was pretty fascinating just because if you are a fan or even just if you've read Nassim Taleb's books like Anti-Fragile, Fooled by Randomness, uh, Black Swan, the character Fat Tony comes out and it's a continuous... I, th I thought it, you know, it was a fictional example, kind of like a caricature, but it actually... I think I learned that it's actually based off of a real mafia boss, which made it um i think it's just, it just really cool and the way they describe the boss is also very uh similar to how nasim taleb describes fat tony in his own book as well so i don't know if he actually got inspired by that he might have he might have mentioned it in the book and i might have missed it but i thought that was pretty interesting and i think the documentary series is pretty fascinating as well so i definitely recommend you watch that um and another fascinating not fascinating but um interest i've been digging into is just so I'm I'm usually don't care so much about energy it's not a big interest for me maybe that's why I never really looked into Tesla as a business or as an investment um, despite the hype around me like the hype that whenever the Tesla stock does well friends will ask me about it and I'll tell them I have no idea and I don't really look at automobile um, car companies or even energy companies for that matter like I used to dabble in oil companies uh, 
back when I just was starting out investing and I got burned pretty heavily. So I learned to kind of not touch those. But I watched um, an episode on Netflix. I think it's the series called Explained. Or no, it might be History 101. Um, it's one of those two. Like Netflix has a bunch of kind of documentary style uh, series. And it's either the one called Explained or History 101. And there's one on nuclear fusion. And I remember somewhere in an article I read about how nuclear fusion energy is just very hated by everyone. And it's one of those things where because we've had some huge disasters in Fukushima and Chernobyl, um, people are just so afraid to test it further. Um, And that's kind of... um, what's the word slowed down the progress um we could have made in developing that energy source but it's it seems like it it, before nuclear energy was used with nuclear fission which is kind of the splitting of the atom and that's kind of what i think where the uh atomic bomb method came as well but nuclear fusion is this new way of actually combining atoms to create an even greater energy source and this might actually be much more stable than the old methods of using nuclear fission. So it could possibly be, um, I don't know if it's better controlled, but it could also pose a lower risk level. Um, and it could possibly produce less waste, I think, because these are all the negatives that people cite with nuclear energy. But I think nuclear energy is the one that we as humans will probably have to rely on in the future if we don't want to go and fo- if we don't want to use fossil fuels. Like my experience, so... It's pretty limited, but my knowledge with wind power and solar power, at least from the projects I did back in my consulting days, is that they are highly, um, they just can't compare with uh, fossil fuel energy. And even the money, um, like it just costs so much to use it. I think every time I would run a, uh, like a financial model, just comparing the net as um, like the net present value or like IRR of a project of replacing, you know, like a diesel or like, you know, uh, fossil fuel related energy source and replacing that completely with something that's renewable, specifically with solar or wind, um, you always got negative <laughs> returns. It's just all the models would say, don't do it. And I'm not, and obviously I think a lot of the inputs that I put in were not the best, but it just kind of showed that this is a really hard thing to make work. And I think there's also enough, um, data out there that also questions the use of solar and wind in terms of if whether they're actually green for the environment. There are many cases where they actually are not um, because of, I think, oh, I forget what specifically it is. So I'm just going to kind of leave it there <laughs> um, and just kind of state as a claim. And I, I could be totally wrong, but I just remember reading um, various studies related to that where it's just not this perfectly good green thing that people think it is. Um, just like how I think the the amount of waste that comes out from creating batteries for like electric vehicles is actually extremely bad for the environment as well compared to like the amount of good electric vehicles could potentially do by um i guess replacing these uh was it cars that use oil and uh, like gas and runoff of diesel for example but i think every when i learned about nuclear fusion that for me kind of seem like the most obvious source of energy that people should focus on and i think it was just like the big contrarian part that excited me where so many people seem to be against it or they just don't think about it um it's kind of it has fear associated with it that made me think that this is probably the place that we should probably look at 
And I recently read uh, or didn't read deep into it, but I saw an article about how France is actually going deep into um, creating this long, not long, but a five-year plan of creating this nuclear fusion uh, generator. So that got me pretty more interested. And I was trying to figure out which companies I could invest in that um, created nuclear fusion generators. But I think they're also in the early stages, so I can't really do that. But if any of you know of pretty good companies, uh, I think I all I found were companies that mined uranium. There are a couple based in Canada that um, mine a ton of uranium, but which are energy sources for nuclear generators, I believe. But other than that, I can't. I haven't found any public companies that I could potentially look for as possible investments into this nuclear fusion uh, thesis just yet. I know Jeff Bezos invested in General Fusion, which is a BC based. Uh, nuclear fusion company so I looked into them tried to read a little further about them um, but they're private so don't really I don't really have the capital to invest in them as a private investor but yeah if you're listening and if you have any suggestions on that definitely let me know but so yeah I ended up looking into that a little bit um, just purely out of curiosity and I'd highly recommend you watch the Netflix series on nuclear fusion just to get an understanding of uh, that kind of that type of energy as well and then I did a whole, I don't know why particularly, just again, personal interest. I did a whole deep dive into, I think, I want to say about five, five to ten, definitely more than five, but less than ten, um, long-form YouTube interviews that Shmoth uh, Palihapitiya from Social Capital did. So I looked at some past interviews he did maybe like five years ago and more recent ones and just kind of comparing his views and um, his message kind of just looking for consistencies, um, not saying that I'm questioning his uh, philosophy, but just more so I just want to see the evolution of a person over time. So I thought that was pretty cool. I think one of his more better talks is definitely definitely the one he gave at Stanford um, for the Stanford Graduate School of Business. I think from the entire talk, my favorite part is, his, is the last question he answers on the power of slow compounding. I think that's probably the best part of the interview, in my opinion. Um, I'd highly recommend you find that. It's, I think there's actually a YouTube video that specifically cut out the last Q&A question um, on the idea of the power of slow compounding or compounding slowly. So you can definitely find that on YouTube. Uh, I think it's definitely gold. I we listened to that segment maybe two to three times. And I think the big thing, though, that for me was a wow factor. Like, I've been following Chumoth's work and just kind of his career. Um, I think I first learned about him in 2016 or 2015. And, you know, back then, I don't think he had the kind of uh, huge popular following as he does now. Like maybe he still was popular then, but I think now more of the general public is aware of him. Um, But I think something new I learned about his early career journeys, which I always find to be fascinating for people, is that after so he i knew that he was a high kind of an executive at aol before but i did not know that he actually left aol to join a vc fund and he left that to join facebook um so he's kind of known as you know the he's yeah known as social the guy who founded social capital and before that the guy who was a key factor you know the chief growth officer or growth hacker of facebook but i found the times before that to be more fascinating the fact that he was a derivatives trader at bank of montreal here in canada um, because he went to the university of waterloo like yours truly and after that going to work at aol 
and how he actually got all these opportunities to become an executive because the company was kind of failing and they were firing all these executives ahead of him so then young people had the opportunity to just kind of take the reins and try various projects and you know learn just by failing and he gets into a VC fund, um, you know, so it's kind of like you see someone who is just, you know, hitting all these paths, right? And in career progression, you're a, you're, a, you're a derivatives trader who can make a lot of money. You go to look at a still a big, still promising, uh, not promising, but, you know, well-known internet company called AOL at that time. And you're an executive, you're young, you're like he was, I think it was in his um, mid, late 20s. And then he gets to join a venture capital fund. It's kind of like the tech story, like any kid who sees it even now would be like, yeah, like you've made it, you've hit all the brands, you've hit the checklist, you know, any kind of ambitious high achiever thinks about that, um, especially one that's grown into like the school-based system. And what I found fascinating was that he left the venture fund, I think he's, I think he said he was either 28 or 29 to join Mark Zuckerberg um, in Facebook. And granted, this he joined as like one of the early employees. I think he was... He was a number under 10 for Facebook. He was a really early employee of Facebook. And um, I think it was the interview of Jason Calacanis where he like talks about, um, or it might have been one of the CNBC interviews where um, he's just talking about that period where it's like, yeah, like there, there was a bit of a gut decision, but it also was kind of, um, it was an asymmetric bet where the downsides were pretty limited. Like it's only that you don't get paid this, money that he was making as a VC, but you had all this other upside that you could, you know, it just, you know, there's a small percentage that could be amazing, like massive, and then a percentage that was slightly better that it could still turn out well. And then, yeah, like it could also fail as well, but you could have all these other learnings and you could learn from really smart people. But what was fascinating for me was just the place he was in his life, the fact that he was in his late 20s, when he made the decision to join a startup that was run by a 19-year-old at the time. Like, think about it. You're 28. You work in a venture capital fund. You were, like, an executive at a solid brand-name tech company. Like, it's like saying somebody who was an executive at Google, who went to work at, you know, like a, not a Sequoia Capital or something, but, you know, still a pretty pretty solid like VC fund in the Bay Area and then you, you're saying I'm gonna leave that to work for a 19 year old guy um, it's it just puts things into perspective I think on just not not only the humility but just the decisions that he had to make and just the things that were probably going on in his mind and you just kind of try to put yourself there like I guess for me like I can put myself there because I am literally 28 and so like I think about that like yeah my previous job was at a hedge fund like it wasn't a venture capital fund but um it was still in like the investing realm I thought I was kind of on top of the world that kind of thing so for me I think it was a very eye-opening um particular interview and I think yeah it it really made me think um it really made me just kind of sit on my patio on my balcony and just kind of sit down and just think take some random notes um and it also, I think, gave me a lot of perspective on this new role I also took on uh, recently as well. And so it, 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 I think, made it more exciting and also kind of made me think my, about my career in a much longer time frame uh, in, in addition to that as well. So I think this was a, it's one of those things where some, you know, 
I feel like I find that a lot in my life where maybe it's because I'm constantly looking for things to inspire me that I try, I end up getting inspired by a lot of things and I go, wow, what another coincidence, what another coincidence. But, you know, over time, I think I realized that it really isn't coincidence. It's just I'm just finding, trying to look for things that um, will push me down the right direction that I probably unconsciously, subconsciously want to go down. And so maybe that's why I end up going down this weird rabbit hole, re- watching all the Chamath interviews because there's a part of me that wants to emulate the career that he's had. And so I'm pretty happy I learned about that, of its early career path. It gives me perspective. And maybe it'll give you perspective if you decide to do the same thing and go down that and dig that rabbit hole as well. And that actually got me interested in two particular companies, a company called Box and a company called Slack, both because um, Chamath talks about them um, quite fondly. And Slack I'm more familiar with, just the product itself. A lot of people use it. I have my opinions on Slack. Um, I think it has the same problems that many messaging tools have. Um, I personally think that, I don't know, I personally think email is better. Um, I think the need for instant communication uh, is a big distraction, but it might just be my type, my way of working. It just works for me, and so maybe other people don't like that. But um, for me, I, like, when Skype was the thing, like, I pushed completely away from that um, when I was exposed to it. And I wanted to go further into the realm of more infrequent communication. But every time you communicate with someone, it was more meaningful. So, and I feel Slack is the exact opposite. So I'm personally biased against it naturally. But what I was curious about was, well, um, Slack seems to have a founder, Stuart Butterfield, that is considered to be a very positive, I'd, I'd say. I don't really know much about him, but... It seems that the quote-unquote street is very positive on Stuart Butterfield saying he's a great leader, great founder. Um, maybe I should listen to some of his inter- interviews to get an idea. But for me, I always go straight into the proxy statements of companies to get an idea. Um, generally, if the founder is not heavily, heavily involved in the company, then I really don't care about it. So uh, when I went to the proxy statement for Slack, be- um, because of the recent IPO, they don't have a lot of data, but they still have a proxy statement. And I learned that Stuart Butterfield can has 21% or 22% of the voting control in Slack, the company, and he has a total ownership of 7.5%. And that's, I believe, from combining the Class A and the Class B shares. Class A shares are the ones that are publicly traded on the stock exchange, I believe, and Class B are the multiple voting right shares that are not available for everyone. Um, The largest, I believe, shareholder, or yeah, the largest shareholder is Excel, the investment fund, uh, or the venture capital fund. I believe that was one of the early investors in Slack. And they have a 26.5% voting uh, total voting control. And there's actually some additional shares that are subject to voting proxy, I think, which would give Stuart Butterfield potentially more control, maybe as much as 42% voting control. Um, I'm not too f- sure how that's going to actually work, but... It seems like, yeah, he does have a meaningful amount of equity inside the company. So I was like, hmm, fascinating, um, somewhat interesting for me. And I think I looked at the compensation because I care about that immensely. Um, and yeah, nothing unusual, nothing to really note. Um, large issuance of stock awards uh, in both 2019 and 2020. His total compensation came out to about $10 million 
2019 and four million in 2020. Seems quite reasonable. The man's running a 16 billion dollar company. Um, his salary is from like 350k to 430k, and then he just gets a ton in stock stock awards. Don't know if that's necessary. If you know, if you own so much of the business, that's not really what I like to see. Um, but yeah, I that's how that's generally what I looked into Slack. I don't know anything else about the company. I honestly spent more time looking at Box, um, just because I just felt like it's currently not as popular. Like everyone seems to be obsessed with Slack, but I don't know anyone who talks about Box. I know about Dropbox because I've I generally I've watched a few interviews with um, Drew Houston, Houston, the co-founder of um, Dropbox, and I've used Dropbox as a product. And I think because they're more, they started out out as a consumer uh, storage service. Um, I was more familiar with it my friends are more familiar with it but now i believe dropbox is going to the enterprise space whereas box took the opposite route and they just started off in the enterprise world and so they're um i believe that's kind of what a big part of chamath um his investment thesis that he presented in the zone conference uh, a few years back and that's one of the interviews i watched and i'm not too familiar with the cloud infrastructure in regards to the, all the application layers like I know who the providers are, like I know AWS, I know GCP, um, but I think there's more intricacies there. Like, like for example, Box is a cloud content management uh, company. I don't know what that is. And so I was curious, I wanted to learn more about it. So I watched a bunch of YouTube videos trying to figure out what are those uh, stack layers of cloud and learning about like, you know, platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, on top of software as a service, and I'm learning about what what does you know content management. What is a content management system? I think it's completely different from a cloud content management system. Um, still, I don't know too. I still don't think I have a good understanding of what Box does, other than that when I actually look at the product, it seems very similar to just a collaborative Dropbox, only it's just applicable at an enterprise level, and a lot of people who use it tend to be in the IT side. That might just be a very, very superficial understanding. But once again, I like to look at the proxy statement. So I went through the proxy statement. I was curious, well, if I want to give a shit about the company, I want to know if the CEO owns a lot of the company. So they don't have a uh, multi-class structure for shares, which I actually like to see. I like to see a singular structure so that I know the um, founders, CEOs are in the same, own the same shares as I do. And Aaron Levy, who is the co-founder uh, and CEO, and I believe he calls himself the chief magician of the company, owns 3.4% of the business. And the other co-founder, who I believe is a CFO, Dylan Smith, owns 1.5% of the business. What I also learned, I think I dug a little deeper because I was just curious about this founding story, is that um, Aaron Levy started, the, started Box when he was 20 years old or 22 years old. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. Like he started the company really early. Um, like he dropped out of university to do that. And what was also fascinating is that the four co-founders of Box were all friends since high school. And so they were all friends since high school. Um, like, and it seems like Levy and, and Smith were specifically more, they were kind of the two closer friends. And Levy always had more of an entrepreneurial flair. Like he apparently like, would be building websites when he was like 14 or something. And they got together again in university um, to start Box. So Levy convinced Smith to start this company Box with him and eventually um, two others, the two other friends joined on. Um, 
I'm blanking on their names, but uh, I believe one of them left in 2018, but the other who's the head of technical operations is still with the team. So three other four co-founders are still there. For me, that was a big uh, plus. Like I like seeing that um, just to see the founding uh, team still together. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. The But one thing that I think turned me off was the involvement of an activist investor with Box. So Starboard Value currently controls about 7.7% of the company. And I watched an interview um, by one of the partners or the executives, one of the senior members of Starboard Value talking about the company. And I don't know, it just... I've never really been involved with a company that had an activist in it. Like I know Carl Icahn, Icahn likes to work his magic when he's involved in companies. I know Jeff Ubbin uh, from Value Act does a great job. I don't know much about Starboard Value. I know they're a pretty popular shop. Um, I know they have a reputation. I don't know what that reputation is. And But just from the interview, I just felt like they were just kind of in for a quick win. Like they were talking about Boxkit being an acquisition target, etc. It's like... For someone who wants long-term compounding, I just don't feel like they are the people to really have as fellow partners in a business. So that really killed my interest. And I also watched Aaron Levy's interviews um, that he did since like 2012, all the way to the recent ones and another one in between to kind of see what's his demeanor like, like as he ages, um, does he mature in his thinking, nothing he wasn't mature before. Um, like you've got to be some, you know, pretty, you have to be a certain kind of type of person to run a, you know, company when you're 20. Like I, I definitely had no balls to do that. So I can't really judge, but just mostly just trying to understand the evolution of the person. Like how do they grow? And, you know, once again, it's a gut feeling, but I wasn't terribly convinced. Like, um, I think the big thing, especially the recent, um, I also read the, shareholder letter which is really short like a two-pager as well as the recent watch the recent interviews with Aaron Levy and yeah it just seemed like there was such a huge focus on like financials at the same time there was kind of a bit of exuberance where um, there was a big focus on like hitting like a 1 billion revenue target which I don't believe Box has reached yet but I believe that's a 2022 target but still um, I don't know it was just it was just a big focus on like projecting out financials and didn't really seem to tell me much about the business um yeah so i just kind of came off of it just nothing spectacular right uh, i think that's what i'm always looking for some like it's it's gotta hit me as like weird or something that makes me question more instead of ah this is boring and i lose interest in it so that's kind of what happened with both box and slack um both companies i just wasn't too interested in it um didn't think there was much there for me personally so that kind of ended the searches there and I'll continue to look for more interesting companies along the way. So that there, there you have it. Uh, that's kind of the, I think, 30-minute uh, time mark before I bore you with more of my nonsense. But uh, I believe these were, not I believe, but I hope these were fun, uh, more lighter, lighthearted, casual learnings for you. Uh, it's kind of like an, a cheap news site in one way, you know, uh, something like a Wall Street Journal, New York Times kind of level news, I hope. Maybe even, maybe it's actually better because it's actually curated to some way and it's not clickbait. I don't know, I'm just kind of acting out just because I was really uh, relatively disappointed with the recent newspapers I bought. I bought the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times, like the physical copies and read it and 
I didn't really feel much value out of it. Um, maybe I just got unlucky with the issues I got, but it just reminded me, yeah, like modern day news is just kind of gone down the drain and there's probably a, reason, a good reason to not kind of read news these days. Um, but yeah, that's also another topic I've just been thinking more so about recently as I doodle on my journal. But yeah, I hope, I hope this was interesting. I hope this was fun. And I apologize if you were, you know, if you were looking for more deeper analysis that I tend to do uh, based on historics, I want, I will get back onto that schedule. Um, it's just, you know, life is happening and I'm rolling with the punches and I'm adapting uh, every day and trying to make a better process. I'm trying to get better at learning the things that fascinate me, interest me, and also, yeah, just trying a lot of different things out that's also part of this podcast uh the whole theme is investing in people and you know myself is one of the people included and so yeah that's the continuous theme and i hope to uh stick with it and hope to not disappoint you hope to actually add value to you in some form or fashion thanks for listening and take care